his word. And so um, I, I, told, uh, I told the kids this last week on our, uh, on our trip, I said, you know, Trinity for, for us as, as a family, for Jennifer and I, has been green pastures. And we have just, um, we're just thrilled to be here. We are grateful uh, for you all and to you all. And someday you're all going to wake up and go, why did we hire this guy? But until then, I'm just going to enjoy it for as long as possible. I, I'm a crooked stick, uh, but God's word cuts straight. And so we should give our attention to God's word. Uh, I'm going to read uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, and then pray. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that is true and trustworthy, that does cut straight and even at times deep. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who, unlike us, never sins, never gets it wrong, never will let us down or fail us, that you are perfect and you have given us your perfect word that we can trust. Lord, we pray that we might be a church that, that cares deeply about the gospel, that cares deeply about missions, that cares deeply about the spread of, of the gospel everywhere, not only in this valley, but to the world. Lord, as we think about this uh, missions fair that will be coming up uh, this, this fall where we'll get to have missionaries in town and hear from them and hear about the work they're doing and that we get to support. Lord, I pray that it would, uh, it would receive not only high engagement and involvement from, from us here at Trinity, but that it would fuel in us a desire to share the gospel in this valley and to the ends of the earth. Lord, may we, may we take seriously the call to share the gospel. Lord, we pray also for First Assembly that they would uh, do the same, that they would seek to share the gospel and to spread uh, the word of Christ out into the world, Lord. We pray that they would have, and us alike, would have great faith and confidence in your word to do the work of the ministry and to call people to salvation, Lord, and that we would wisely have something to say. Lord, we pray for Whitman uh, InterVarsity Ministries this year as they uh, come back and, and be, are beginning to meet again, Lord. We thank you for the praise uh, of the enthusiasm from students who are coming back from last year. But Lord, we ask um, with them that there would be uh, great enthusiasm and, and even new small groups that are built up, that the gospel might spread there, that people might hear of what uh, Jesus has done. Lord, we, we pray for uh, Dunnan's trip here to Walla Walla, that it would be a not only a safe but a profitable uh, trip for uh, the ministry here at Walla Walla, and that you would use that to, uh, to grow the leaders who are here and to, uh, to strengthen the small groups that are, are there. Lord, we pray for the student leadership as they uh, really are, are doing the work that they're doing there without um, a leader present. Lord, give them strength and wisdom, uh, but Lord, bring them a, a leader soon. And Lord, we pray, as we've been asked to pray, that we might consider how our involvement, what our involvement might be in caring for international students who are traveling from other countries to come to school here, that we might open our homes and lives and church to, 
to them, to care for them, and to give them places uh, that, that just feel like home and like they, uh, they have a family not only to belong to, but to, uh, to, care about them, uh, to care about them. Lord, make us hospitable to that end. Lord, open our eyes to your word that we might understand it and receive it and obey it. For your glory and for the spread of the gospel, we ask in Jesus' name. I've, uh, I've been asked quite a bit this morning how our trip uh, with the youth went to Beaverton last week, and I'm really excited to share some of that with you. So as most of you probably know, uh, we, took, uh, about, um, we took 11 students and several leaders over to Beaverton to help a church there, Bedrock Community Church, uh, do their VBS. And uh, uh, if... if Maybe some of you remember, or if you were involved in, in VBS, Hunter and Madeline, who came over and took part in our VBS, uh, this was their VBS back there, and that's part of why they came out here. And, and uh, Jennifer and I, our family goes back to before our kids were born, and probably when Hunter was uh, just a little, little baby. We've been friends with their families for years and years, so it's fun just to be able to go over there and do life together with them. But, uh, but the kids, I just, I can't tell you how amazing they were and just how overwhelmed I was at their maturity and, and at their ability to, to share the gospel, to teach, to love on these kids. They, they really did amazing things. This, this church we went to, again, it's a church plan. It started right before COVID, and COVID's been hard on everybody. They kind of average about 30 uh, people on a Sunday morning, uh, three to four uh, probably average attendance or maybe two to four average attendance in children's ministries. We had over 50 kids in VBS and connected with families and kids heard the gospel and parents heard the gospel. And it was just an incredible opportunity to help them and to, to, to do this VBS and, and to staff it with them. But man, and the kids, they helped in other ministries and organizations and churches. And it really was an absolutely incredible time. But one of the things that really impressed me is as we went into this building where VBS was, it's a building that in many ways is very similar to ours. It is a gorgeous facility. Uh, the, the auditorium is similar in size and, and even shape and structure to ours. Uh, this church clearly has money. Um, they have state-of-the-art everything everywhere. It's, it's all over the place. And the church has people, but not very many of them. And they're all old. You go into the auditorium and there's about maybe what would constitute three rows of chairs here in their auditorium for their Sunday morning. And they've got so much money and they've got so much building, in fact, that, that there's actually six churches that meet in this building. The, the church that owns the building doesn't charge the other ministries, the other churches, anything to use their building. They don't need it. They have plenty of money. They have, like, everything you could ever imagine in a youth room. All the lights and equipment and technology, games and uh, food service area that you could possibly want. But they just don't have any people. Twenty years ago, this church was a, a bus when I lived there. It was, a, it, was the it was one of the churches to be at. There was much going on there. There was young families. And as we all know, where there is young people, there is enthusiasm. And if you don't think that's true, spend time with youth. Like, I'm, I'm just telling you, I don't think I, don't think I, I was the one who was uh, doing the blessing on this trip. I, I, th I would bet 
that if we could somehow measure it, I was more blessed for having gone than these kids were for having me present there. It was an incredible time of relationship and, and ministry. And I don't know, I, I think if you're discouraged about the next generation of young people, you should spend time with our youth because you will be encouraged. They are incredible. And what a blessing it was to me to just get to spend time with them and to know them and to build relationships. You know what else this church has, though? That they've got building, they've got money, they've got a few people, they've got deep teaching. Their pastor preaches uh, the, these deep theological, biblical sermons. So what happened between when they were a church with young people and enthusiasm and they were growing and it was the place to be to, to get them to the place where they are now? And I think the answer is that they, they forgot something. They forgot that the church's main goal, the mission that we've been put on, is not merely the assimilation of truth. God doesn't just call us to come into the church and gain and, and grow in knowledge. I mean, I could bring a five-gallon bucket in here, and I could set it up, and we could put quite a bit of water in there. Five-gallon bucket, five gallons is a lot of water, especially if it's like poured over the top of your head, right? But, but as much as a five-gallon bucket can hold, now imagine a pipe the size of a five-gallon bucket and how much water can flow through that pipe. God has not called us to be containers of his grace, containers of his truth. We're not just assimilating his truth and, and moving it into us as though we're, we're just to absorb it and know it. God wants to work through us. We're to be conduits of his grace, conduits of his truth, conduits of the gospel. My experience, I've, I, in, uh, personally, but also in ministry, is that often people who, who don't experience power in their spiritual lives, have forgotten this. Because we, we understand that, that God, I mean, you know, we read the Great Commission and we're about to look at it in a second. But we kind of forget the Great Commission and focus on the Great Commandment that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. But we forget that what we're called to do is to go out into the world and make disciples. We forget that there's a mission to, be, to, to, to happen. You know, we read Acts 2, and we see that Jesus tells the disciples, or Acts, uh, first couple chapters of Acts, in fact, and he says, hey, you know, stay here, stay in the upper room, wait. Because in a few days, the Holy Spirit's coming. And when he comes upon you, you will receive power. And when you receive power, you will stay in this room, and you will learn, and you will grow, and you will assimilate truth, and you will just hide course not. He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think oftentimes most of us experience powerless Christian lives because we forget the purpose for which that power is given to us. Power is designed to flow through us, not to us. 
If I were to take a vacuum cleaner and plug it into the wall, the second that plug hits the wall, it is charged with electricity. It becomes a container of electricity. All the wiring and circuitry in it is filled with electricity. A fair bit of it. More than I would want to be shocked by. That wouldn't be comfortable. But when you turn that switch on and you use it for the purpose for which it was designed, and electricity is not just contained in it, but is flowing through it, it does much, much more. I had a vacuum cleaner one time that broke. It quit working. And so, uh, you know, and they're designed to suck, right? So I put a Dallas Cowboys sticker on it, and it sucked again. Just all of a sudden, it was fixed, you know? If you're a Cowboys fan, I'm sorry. I apologize. But the point is, that, that machine can do some incredible things. It can do work. But it only does work when power is flowing through it, rather than just being contained in it. Why is it that when you were saved, if you've been saved, if you've trusted in Jesus, if you believe in his death and resurrection to pay the penalty for your sin and offer you life, if you have trusted in him for that, why is it that in that moment, instantaneously, he didn't just take you to heaven? Why why did he leave you here? I think the answer to that is because there's work to be done. And we see this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And without trying to get too technical, there's, there's one main imperative, like this command here. It's the imperative mood in Greek, and that is to make disciples. Jesus is commanding his disciples and us to make disciples. It's, it's, an, it's to be an unending chain. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so Jesus commands them, you are to make disciples. Disciples, And then he, he attaches three what are called aorist participles in the Greek. Now, that probably means nothing, and that's okay. Participles are just I-N-G words. But the interesting thing about aorist participles is they take on the same mood as the main verb. And so these aorist participles all become additional commands. And so, you know, when, when people say, well, Matthew chapter 28 would be better translated, as you are going, make disciples. That's absolutely incorrect. Because the first participle is go. We are commanded as believers in Jesus Christ to make disciples. And step number one is go. To go where they are. To to go out from the upper room in Acts. To go out from this auditorium here. And to make disciples. The next command is to baptize them baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when we go out and we proclaim the gospel and somebody believes, we're commanded to baptize. And then the last thing, verse 20, is to teach them to observe all that he has commanded. And so we go out and we share the gospel and people believe and we baptize them and then we begin to teach them to observe all that God has commanded of them. And then we get this statement that should be such encouragement to us. Jesus' final words here are, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a scary prospect. We're we're supposed to go out there and tell people the gospel. We're supposed to tell them they're wretched sinners and they deserve to die. 
Christ has died in their place. And they can, through faith, receive forgiveness and newness of life. And then when they believe, we are to baptize them and to teach them. But we never go alone. We never are alone. He is with us as we live out this mission that he has put us on to the end of the age. Somewhere along the line, this church had forgotten that they were on mission. Somewhere along the lines, they had forgotten that there was work to be done. They became more concerned with assimilating truth than disseminating it. We're not just to be containers of God's truth and grace. We're to give it away. Jesus and grace are not commodities. We don't have to hoard them. And when we give away our faith, when we give away the truth, when we give away the gospel, we don't lose any of it for ourselves. Because it's not a commodity that has to be bartered and traded more or less here or there. They forgot they were on mission. And then the next thing they know, they turn around and it's a room full of old people. And if you're old, that's wonderful. I love you. I love old people. We should be afraid of this place being a room full of only old people. Because when we forget, when we think, oh man, it's just about consuming the truth and, and, and we're just going to contain and contain and contain and contain all of a sudden and we, sw- we, we stop going out and, and sharing the gospel. The next thing we know, we, we look around and we go, there, there's, we're just all old people. Well, what can we do? Oh, we can spend a bunch of money on a youth room. We're never going to out Hollywood Hollywood. You can't just entertain them and think that's going to make them show up. You can't throw money at a problem like that. We have to, we have to be uh, conduits of God's grace and mercy and truth out into the world. We, we come in here and we fuel up to go out and give it away. There's, there's been lots and lots and lots of analogies given for the church. I think my favorite one in my own mind is, uh, at least as far as the gathering on a Sunday morning, is a gas station. We're just making a pit stop to fuel out and then get back out on the road doing what God has called us to do. Contrast that to the church we stayed in. We stayed, we slept at Sunrise uh, Church in Hillsborough. It's a CV Northwest church as well. And it was a great experience, but, but it was a very, very different experience. They have a big building. It's an old Fujitsu uh, building that they've turned into a church. But, th- but what goes on there is very different. We got there, we were told, okay, uh, we're going to be there uh, Saturday early afternoon. And they're like, okay, you can come in early Saturday afternoon. But by 2 o'clock, you have to leave, and you can't come back until 8 o'clock. You're like, okay, why? They said, well, at 2 o'clock, we shut down the whole building. Our security team sweeps every room and makes sure that there's nobody here. We have an ex-convict ministry. Some of them are, uh, you know, uh, sexual offenders. They come. We have a service for them that is uh, an environment where they are free of any kind of temptation like that. We minister to them, but they're gone by 8. Our security team sweeps through the building again. And so from 2 to 8, you can't be on campus. And then Thursday, we were told, you know, you guys can stay here. You can be here on Thursday night. But Thursday, you probably are just going to have to hide in the rooms you're sleeping in because there's going to be a lot going on on campus. Oh, okay, what's going on? Well, we're going to have big AA meetings, big NA meetings. We're going to have grief share. We're going to have divorce care. And it pretty much takes up our whole building. 
Okay, well, we need a kitchen, and we're going to need to be able to cook while we're there. Oh, sure, you can use our kitchen. You just got to know that every single day, Meals on Wheels is in our kitchen making meals for the day. This is, this is their main kitchen. Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, we needed a service project for Monday. Oh, we've got a service project for you. We, uh, we've got a ministry to, to homeless people. We take food out to them where they are, and, and we need help making these lunches and getting it ready to go out. And we're going to make 250 lunches today, and uh, all their stuff is kept in our, uh, our uh, refrigerator, and, and we'll pack lunches together. Uh, December through February for 90 days, we, we run a shelter during the coldest months where at 6 p.m., people who are homeless can come in and they can sleep here overnight. We have staff here to make sure that there's nothing too much going on. And yeah, all of our staff members, we've, we've cleaned up somebody's pee somewhere or another where they've urinated on the floor in the building. It's just a tremendous contrast between these two churches. One that had high, deep, lofty teaching that made that an end in and of itself. And another, my daughter goes to this church, and I asked her what her favorite thing about it is, and she says they preach verse by verse through the Bible. That's her favorite thing about the church. And yet they are a church that says they exist for the last, the least, and the lost, and they live it out. And it's messy. That's okay. One of the service projects we did was for that church. We cleaned out some of the islands in their, in their parking lot. And I was, I was with my friend one day who's a pastor on staff there. And uh, he, he was checking it out. And he's like, oh, man, these look great. I said, yeah, they're not perfect, but they'll do. He said, oh, at sunrise, we don't do perfect. Because as soon as the building's perfect, somebody's going to mess it up, right? I mean, this church had a completely different mindset of the purpose for which it existed. It understood that it, it, its, its job is to live on mission. Now, I'm not calling for us to lower our standards of, of Bible study and, and preaching. I'm asking us to understand that the end goal is not just the assimilation of information, but the dissemination of it. That We have a, a, a job to live on, and that's kind of where we come to uh, in the book of Colossians. Uh, Paul has just proclaimed the glories of Christ over and over. He's our supreme delight and message and person and reconciler. He's the supreme mystery. The basis of the whole Christian life is him. He is the motivation for the Christian life. Everything is about Jesus. And then it seems so fitting to me that the last bit of instruction he gives here before closing out the letter with his final greetings is to call the church to be about living on mission. He says, you've seen the worthiness of Christ. Now go tell others about him because he is worth sharing and he's worthy of sharing. And so this brings us to some diagnostic questions. Do you share the gospel? Not, not Trinity, you. Do you share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus? Do you, do you open your home to people who don't know Jesus? Do you invite them to read the Bible with you? Do you invite them to church? Mature believers can answer yes to these. Mature believers, they, they, they share the gospel. I mean, Jesus calls the disciples. I think they'd been with him like two months, and he's like, all right, guys, leave your cloak, leave your money, leave everything you have. You're going to the next town, and you're going to tell people about me. Sometimes we think, oh, I just need more information before I can share it with people. They had the basics, and Jesus is like, that's enough. 
go. The foundation of their lives was the sharing of the gospel. He didn't pull them inside and say, hey, let's have a Bible study for the next uh, 437 years and then I'll send you out. He sent them out right away. And the more they learned, the more they had to share. The more information that flowed to them, the more information that could flow through them. The more grace that flowed to them, the more grace flowed from them. When the Holy Spirit came into them, the Holy Spirit flowed out of them everywhere they went. This is God's design and his plan for his church. So I'm not asking us to lower our views of these things. I'm asking to elevate our views of the importance of living on mission. I want Trinity to be a church that is here and growing and thriving and faithful and flourishing from now until Jesus returns. And in order for that to happen, we have to be a church that is living on mission. And so I want to come to the text now and look at three principles for faithful evangelism. Three principles for faithful evangelism. Now, since I was gone, you don't have an outline in your, uh, in your worship folder, and you don't have one on the screens, but I will repeat myself. Number one, the first principle for faithful evangelism is pray often and with focus. Pray often and with focus. Uh, this is verses two through four. Where, uh, so the whole structure of this, this section we're in, Paul gives a command, one of those imperatives, and then he gives a participle, an, an I-N-G word that further defines that command. And so the command here is to continue steadfastly in prayer. With all, of that we, with all we have seen of the worthiness of Christ, the proper response from us is to continue steadfastly in prayer. But we're to do it by being watchful with thanksgiving. We're to be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Watchful for opportunities. Watchful for the return of Christ. We are to be watchful in our prayers, but we are to pray often. And then Paul further describes to us what this prayer is to look like in verse 3. But there's a clue here that tells us he is not asking for prayer that is something different than what he's asking us to pray. And this is why I believe this to be a request to pray for opportunities for the gospel. Notice that he says, at the same time, pray also for us. He wants us to be praying for him the same prayer that we are praying for us. And that is that God would open to us a door for the word. That God would open doors for us to share the word with people. You know how you get somebody else to open a door? It's really simple. It's not a trick question. We have to do to get somebody else to open a door. We have to knock, right? You don't sit at home in your living room and be like, man, I really wish somebody would open a door to me. You got to go knock on doors. It's not you who opens the door, but, but you got to present yourself with the opportunity. Well, I think that's the picture that is being painted for us here. God is the one who opens doors for the gospel, but we have to at least knock. Uh, J. Vernon McGee a pastor who I, I love greatly, he said this. He said, an old pastor in Georgia used to make this statement. When a farmer prays for a corn crop, God expects him to say amen with a hoe. You got to get out and you got to plant if you want a corn crop. There's farmers in this church. They don't sit at home and pray for a crop. No, they have equipment. They go out. They till fields. They spray. They fertilize. They plant seed. And then or maybe at the same time, they pray. And who gives the growth to those plants? It is not them. 
is God. That was very evident this year, was it not? Some years are better than others. And a farmer can't just make a crop by, uh, by all of his best preparation. There's work to be done, but it's God who opens those doors. I think one of the ways that God opens doors is simply by serving our community. And there's a danger. We can't just serve our community and call it evangelism. We, we can't like, you know, it's not evangelism until we've shared the gospel. But, but the church is called to both. We're called to serve our community. And it's oftentimes those places where we serve our community, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, as a church, as individuals, those are often the ways God opens the door for the word. Those, those opportunities of service. Somehow along the lines, we've, we, we seem to have com- confused the, the 11th commandment with evangelism. You all know the 11th commandment, don't you? Thou shalt be nice. You never heard the 11th commandment? That's like the most important commandment of all, I think, for for most Christians. That if you're just nice, that's enough. And we love to hide in many ways behind statements like Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Oh, how do you share the gospel? Oh man, I'm just nice to everybody. I've met nice pagans. I've met nice Mormons. I've met nice Buddhists. It's not evangelism until we share the gospel. There's nothing wrong with being nice. We should be nice. But Francis of Assisi, he lived in a, in a completely different era than we lived. He lived in an era where he was Catholic, where, where all, uh, most of the priests talked a lot, but lived none of it. And so when he said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary, he was calling for people to have their lives match their mouths not calling for people to use their lives instead of their mouths. We have to do both. We have to live well in the world, but we have to tell people of who Jesus is. I mean, Paul, look at what he says here. Look at what his prayer is. He says, pray for me also, pray for yourselves, pray for me that God might open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. That's specifically what he wants, is to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Now, as a pastor, particularly as a preacher, I think there's been no time in recent generations where the reality of the possibility of being imprisoned for what I, imprisoned for what I do has been present. Pastors are being thrown in jail for many things. Idaho, this great conservative bastion, some people see it. Man, if you're a pastor and you don't do gay weddings there, you can be fined daily until you do the wedding. Canadian pastors are being thrown in jail for, for conducting church services. I mean, the reality is present, that, that I could be thrown in jail for what I do. And when I am, or if I am, my only request would be, be good to my wife. But here's the thing. If I get arrested and I go to jail... I, like Paul, am praying for open doors, but it's a very different prayer. I'm I'm not going to be praying for open doors for the gospel. I'm going to be like, hey, you know, Jesus, Acts, when the apostles were arrested and you sent an earthquake or an angel and the doors were opened or shaken off their hinges and they got out of jail, would you get me out of here? Would you open doors for me? That's not Paul's prayer. He's not praying for open physical doors. He's like, I'm in jail because of the gospel. Pray for me that I would have more opportunities to do what landed me here. 
what a different perspective than, than, than what I would do. And then notice what he says, that I may make it, that is the gospel, the mystery of Christ clear, which is how I ought to speak. We are to live on mission. We are to pray often and with the focus of sharing the gospel. But that brings us to our second point in verse 5, and that is that we are to live winsomely and with priority. We are to live winsomely and with priorities. Look at verse 5. Paul says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Let me ask you, is most of your walking and wisdom towards insiders or towards outsiders? Do you consider how you can walk wisely in the church or in the world? Notice he doesn't say, walk in wisdom towards insiders. Certainly there are verses in Scripture that call us to that. Certainly we are to behave ourselves in the church in a certain way, but here he calls us to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of our time. Our lives are to be lived with proper priorities. We're, we're, we're to live uh, our lives in such a way that, that, that reflects well on Jesus. Does your life reflect well on Jesus? If a non-believer were to spend every minute of every day with you for three months, what would they conclude are your priorities in life? Sports? Recreation? Church? Kids? Bible study? Family? Work? What they conclude is your priority. By the way, all of these are the wrong answers. They're all the wrong answers. If somebody lives with you for three months and they conclude you're all about church, wrong answer. You're all about Bible study, wrong answer. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things as long as Jesus is the end of them. But when they become the end, everything falls apart. Bible study, church, sports, recreation, family, work, kids, all of these things were given to us to lead us to Jesus, not to be ends in, in and of themselves. They are all wonderful gifts from God. They are all horrible gods. When, when people see us at work, in family, at church, in Bible study, sports, recreation, all of these things, would they conclude that that is the goal? Or would they conclude that Jesus is the are these ends to which we meet Jesus and serve Jesus? Like, if your kids are in sports, man, that's a great opportunity to connect with parents and pray for open doors for gospel ministry. Work, family, these are all great opportunities. They, all, they are all things that God can use. But when they become ends in and of themselves, everything falls apart. Are you making the best use of your time? towards outsiders, for the kingdom? Pray that you would walk in wisdom and make the best use of your time. And then do something. Grab a hoe and hoe a row. Do some work. Lastly, thirdly, we are to speak graciously and with substance. We are to speak graciously and with substance. In verse 6, Paul says, here's the command, let your speech always be gracious. 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each person. We have, to, we have to speak graciously, but there has to be some substance to what we say. This is back to the conduit point. Not only should we be nice in our speech, but we should be, or gracious in our speech is really a far better word than nice. We have to have something to say. Our, our speech should always be seasoned with grace, seasoned with salt, but we have to answer each person as we ought. Tone matters. The way we speak to people matters. This is like a constant battle for me. I, I get all excited and I stand up here and I scream and yell and then I'm like, oh, is that the tone I wanted? Especially as I look, if I watch old sermons of myself on YouTube, I watch myself and I go, what was I so angry about there? You know, sometimes passion comes off as anger. And, and tone matters. And I, I have to watch my tone all the time. What's the tone when you speak to people? What's the tone of how you come across? Because tone matters. I could give the exact same statement to my kids with one tone versus another tone, and it's going to completely change the context. And if I look at my kids and I'm like, why do you do that all the time? It feels very different than if I come to them and I say, why, why do you do that? Why do you do that all the time? What benefit is there for you in that? It becomes completely different. Tone matters. Tone communicates a lot. We need to speak graciously, but it's not just graciously that we're to speak. We're to speak with substance. I remember one time uh, I went to ask forgiveness of somebody that I worked with at a church. And so I went to him and I said, hey, you know, I have to confess this. Would you forgive me? And his response was, oh, for all that Jesus has forgiven me of, how could I not forgive you? He spoke graciously, but with substance. It, it was uh, an incredible moment. The tone of our speech matters. Evangelism is not just a matter of being nice. It's being nice and saying something of substance. Sometimes it takes work to get to that place where we say something of substance, but we still have to. There is a way that we ought to answer. So often I hear Christians say, man, I, I don't know the Bible very well. Well, if you're young, either in age or in faith, that's okay. It's totally okay. But if you're neither, if you're not young in age or faith, and you say all the time, man, I don't know the Bible very well, you should change that. You should change that. And, and you don't have to know it all tomorrow. None of us do. But tomorrow you should know more about the Bible than you do today. And more the next day. And more the next day. And as that filters into your life, not just a container of it, you're a conduit of it. Give it away. Here's what's going to happen. When, when somebody's, at some point in time, somebody's going to ask you a question. You're going to be like, well, what about this? And you're going to say, I don't know. Let me call Logan. You're going to call Logan. And you're going to be like, what about this? And I'm going to say, I don't know. I'll help you find the answer. I don't have all the answers. I don't even have close to all the answers. But Trinity graciously pays me a living so that I can help you find the answers. We're all going to be stumped with a question sometime that we don't know the answer to. That's not a problem. It's not a problem when we don't know the answer. It's a problem when we don't find out. Or maybe when we don't have the conversation in the first place that even leads to the question. 
We, we, not, we have to be learning the Bible more and more all the time. That we might have something more to say. And so we have to pray for open doors to share the gospel. We have to live winsome lives that reflect well on the gospel. We have to let our speech be seasoned with grace and, 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 and to tell people of the truth of what God has done. We have to have something to say because the reality is that Jesus is worth and worthy of sharing. He's worth sharing with people and he's worthy of being shared with people. But I think the reality is right now, uh, churches are suffering. They're suffering from what I, I'm going to call uh, church hypothermia. What is hypothermia? Well, when there is a shock to the body, and the body is having a hard time keeping all of its functions going, it draws blood into its core. All of your blood leaves your hands, your, your hands and arms and legs quit working well because the blood all gets pulled in. And it gets pulled in to keep warmth where your vital organs are and to keep them functioning so that you stay alive. It's a, it's a defense mechanism that God has built in the body. And it's wonderful. It's a good mechanism. It, it, it keeps us alive when there are shocking things going on to the body. The danger, though, is staying there. The danger is when you get stuck in that state. One of two things happens. Either limbs start getting cut off or you die. You can't stay in that state forever. You have to get warmed back up. You have to get active again. You have to get blood flowing again or, or it's really, really detrimental. And I think across the globe, uh, COVID has presented a shock to the system. But Trinity's had a series of shocks. I'm not critical of any of this. I don't, want it to, I don't want that to be my tone. But when a pastor leaves, it's a shock to the system. And when you go through a three-year pastoral search, it's a shock to the system. And when the new guy gets here and he's different than the old guy, it's a shock to the system. And you add COVID on top of that, that's a shock to the system. And many churches, for good reason, and, the, and, and, and it's the right thing to do sometimes, have pulled themselves in. We've pulled all our resources to the core. We've drawn ourselves in to survive. That's okay. Sometimes that's what the church has to do. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. But there's danger in getting stuck there. When you get stuck there, you start losing limbs and dying. You get stuck there and you look around one day and you're like, it's like a Q-tip box, except for the bald guy. Everybody's got white hair. Where did everybody go? Maybe if we throw some money at youth ministry, that'll get kids in, and it doesn't work. Maybe if we throw money at children's ministry, we'll get kids in, and that doesn't work. It's way harder to bring dead limbs back to life than it is to get about the work that needs to be done and push blood back out into the extremities and do the work that we were called to do. And I think that's where we are. Zero criticism in that. I mean that. Sometimes that's what God does with the church. He draws us in to survive. But then he quickly sends us back out. We have to, we have to think about what, what is next for us in getting outside of the church. How do we serve the community and pray for open doors while we do? And how do we share the gospel? We can't confuse the two. We can't eliminate either one. The church is commanded to do both. 
And I see churches in both sides making errors today that I don't want us to step into. I see some churches saying, no, 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 you can't serve your community because that's not the gospel. And I think that is one reaction to churches who are serving their community and not sharing the gospel. But like preaching and discipleship, or disciple, rather, rather discipleship and outreach, which do we do? You can't separate the two. Both matter. I think it's the same thing with community service and evangelism. We can't separate the two. Oftentimes, community service is the way we knock on doors that God opens that leads to evangelism. But the question is, are we ready for that? Are we ready for the mess? Are you ready for the guy sitting next to you in church who can't sit still and is shaking his leg a million miles an hour because all he can think about is when and where and how he can get high next? That's the kind of person Jesus would have hung out with. Are you willing to step into hard places? When the gospel gets shared and somebody who's, who's bought into the lie that they can define themselves transgender man or woman comes into the church, however you want to think of that, because I'm confused on the matter. Are you willing, when they believe, to say, I'll come alongside you and I'll show you what it means to, to, to live and act like a man? We, we dare not confuse macho with manly, though. Those are not the same thing. Or a woman, and say, I'll show you what it means to act and walk and talk like a woman? Are we willing to get into hard places with people? We have to be. It's messy. It's messy. It makes perfect hard. But you know what the difference between me and them is? I'm just better at hiding my mess. Some people wear their sin on their sleeves. Others of us are good at hiding it. The truth of the matter is, we're all crooked sticks. We're all crooked sticks. We serve a Savior who is not, whose word is perfect and cuts straight. Jesus came for the last, the lost, and the least, and he's asked us to do the same. Or are we only going to be a church for those who already look pretty churchy? The people who look churchy, they need Jesus. So do the people who are just a mess. Who are we about? We've got we've to speak the truth and live winsomely and have something to say. We're to be conduits of God's grace, not containers of it. Jennifer ended our trip with crew uh, with a question. She talked about a TV show that she likes to watch that's... Uh, uh, the, the end of every episode asks, ends with the question, what's next? And so she asked the kids, what's next? Okay, here you've been on this trip. We've done these things. It's been incredible and wonderful. What's next? I think that's the question for us. There's been some shocks to the system. We've drawn in. We can't stay there. What's next? I'm not sure what, what, it, what it'll look like, but it's probably going to be messy, and it's going to be hard, and it's good. And that's where God does amazing things. If you are part of the younger generation in this room, I, I want to I challenge you. For those of us who are younger, I want to challenge you to relentlessly fight busyness. Because the world we live in will consume all of your time. 
until all of it's gone and you look back and you say, what, what did I do? Oh, I'm supposed to have my neighbors over for a meal and to get to meet them, but I'm too busy. I, I could check out the block party kit and get to know a bunch of neighbors all at once, but I'm too, too busy. Relentlessly fight busyness. The truth of the matter is, let's just be honest, do, do a time study on yourself for one week and record every bit of time on social media, TV, something like that. You'll probably find in reality you're far less busy than you believe yourself to be. Fight that. Relentlessly fight that. But if you're part of the older generation, if you're, if you're among us here who are older, that's wonderful. I love you. We need you. But you have a different temptation to fight. You have a, a temptation to fight that says, I don't have anything to offer any people who are younger. They don't want to spend time with me. Here's how the conversation usually goes. I challenge people who are older to invite people uh, who are younger, whether it's to a meal, take them out after church, to do something, invite a neighbor, and they go, oh, they don't, they don't want to spend time with me. And I say, how do you know? Did you invite them? And they say, well, no, but. I think you will find that younger generations are much, much more willing to say yes to an invitation than you believe. Whether that's inside the church or outside the church. My children have never lived geographically close to their grandparents. Oh, but they've had some people who have loved them well. And next week we're going to Tucson and they're excited to see some of these people. We invite, say yes. I've heard people in Trinity say to me several times, ah, you know, I'm older. I can't do the ministry I once did. And my standard response is that's wonderful. I think maybe God's inviting you into a season of ministry that's greater than you could have ever imagined. All you have to do is ask somebody. Take them to lunch. Invite them over to your house. Spend time with people. They want to. Young people, fight busyness so that you can be about kingdom work. Older people, invite people in. You have much to offer, and they want to be with you. The truth of the matter is we all want to be with anybody who actually wants to be with us regardless of age or shape. Check out the block party. I don't know. I don't know what the next season of ministry looks like at Trinity, but I know it looks outward. So the question before us all, what's next? Lord, would you give us wisdom to know what's next? Would you give us discernment to know uh, what's next when you have a specific plan for us and wisdom when you just call us to figure things out and to do things that are for your glory and for the good of others. We want to be a church that's focused outwards. Lord, there are always things to be done here. There is truth to be learned. We, we are to grow and disciple. We're to be conduits of all that we learn and have and the grace that you've given us. And so, Lord, may we gather, may we fill up, may we feed and feast on your word even and drink deeply from the well of your truth and then go out and share with others what you have done for us. May we be a church that always is looking outwards to invite others in and then to build them up in the faith and send them out as well. Do great things for us, but particularly, Lord, and maybe even more so, do great things through us that we might feel and know and experience your power, the power that you have given us, your spirit. He is the power that we have, but you have given him to us to that end that we might be your witnesses in the world. So, Lord, for those of us, like me, who are fearful, who 
who struggle, who, who get worried about, about those opportunities and find that, them hard. Maybe particularly for those of us who, who you have made disciples and who struggle with evangelism. Give us great boldness and courage. Uh, may we be like Christ and, and willingly and quickly invite others to find their hope and grace and faith in him. And may it all be for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. compassion love that's never failing let mercy fall on me everyone needs forgiveness the kindness of a savior the hope of nations
one of the lines of that song was, um, take me as you find me with all my fears and failures and fill my life again. And um, I appreciate that song because we all, the fears and the failures are, are part of us, but he, he fills us again and, um, and helps us to say what's next. Uh, and I'm, I'm, as I hear the sermon, I, I'm impressed about taking that same size vessel instead of letting it fill up a cup, let it just be that conduit. I, I just ask God to help me do that. Take, let me be that conduit. And, um, and part of that conduit and part of the way that, that we take what's in and put it out, of course, is in our giving. So there's information there about your giving. It helps us, uh, it helps us more than it helps God. Um, and so that we can be a conduit of his love in so many ways. And certainly that's one of them. So um, I just charge each one of us today, young and old, um, to ask God what's next. And, and that, that touches me too. So um, I pray for us each as we leave here today that we'll take that question to heart. And wherever you are in, in that part of your life, um, take it to heart that we're, we're, not a, we're not a bucket, we're a conduit. And pray that God will t- use of each one of us to do that. So let's pray together as we part today. Lord God, um, take us as you found us. Uh, you know our failures, you know our fears, you know, um, you know our strengths too because you created them. And so God, guide us this week. Um, help us to ask that question each morning as we wake. What's next? Um, give us opportunities and allow us to see those opportunities and take them. Give us strength, the strength that you have that we don't, um, to take this word and to, um, to treat it like a treasure that we found that we have just simply got to share. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Guide us this week and lead us in your way. Amen. Amen.